Hey there, booklies! This is Anastasia Nightingale, and welcome back to the Bookish Creation Podcast. I hope you all are doing amazing today and staying safe out there. If you're new here, hi! Welcome! We do everything with bookish love, including reviews, hypes for great romance reads, romance discussions, and we even do writing tips sometimes. With that being said, Please keep in mind that the Bookish Creation Podcast is for adults only and can contain excerpts from hot romance reads that may have erotic or graphic characters and or scenes. Please be sure to listen responsibly. Okay, you guys, I know that I'm going through this a little bit quickly, but I'm more excited about our episode today than I ever have been. Today, we're not only looking at a brand new book from one of my all-time favorite authors, Evangeline Anderson which is launching today, but it's also a Christmas book. And it's a story of one of my favorite alien races of her kindred books. As exciting as all of that is, what's even more exciting and has me absolutely on cloud 20 is we have Evangeline Anderson here on the podcast with us today. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Evangeline will be reading some of her favorite excerpts from Secret Santa Surprise, will gush on their awesomeness, and finally, we're wrapping this extremely special episode up with an interview. Okay, I can't wait, you guys. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Evangeline, would you mind reading your first excerpt for us? Absolutely. I'm just going to jump right in at chapter one, because it kind of explains the whole book. So, so whose name did you draw for Secret Santa? Sonia plopped under her rolling chair and scooted over to where Melanie was tapping on the hollow keyboard projected by her compu cube. The small cube, about the size of a man's fist, also projected the screen she was looking at. It hovered above the cube in 3D color in the air in front of her. You know we're not supposed to stay. Melanie smiled at her co-worker, who was grinning eagerly at her. She'd only been aboard the kindred mothership for months, but she had already found it easy to make friends here. Of course, working in PR and being a public relations specialist with a master's degree in corporate marketing meant that she was an outgoing person anyway, but it just seemed that the people aboard the mothership were more friendly and kind than the people she was used to down on Earth, maybe because they were also happy and fulfilled with jobs that they loved, that paid a good wage, and relationships that were loving and loyal. Of course, one of those less-than-friendly people down on Earth was Steve, whispered a little voice in her head. Anybody who would would be an improvement over him. Melanie pushed the thought of her ex from her mind. Their divorce had been painful and bitter and left her feeling bruised and uncertain of herself. She was glad the mothership was such a kind and welcoming environment. But kind and welcoming or not, if Sonia thought she was going to spill the beans about who Melanie had drawn for Secret Santa, she had another thing coming. I'm not telling, she told her co-worker with a grin. That ruins the surprise. Well, that's okay. I mainly just wanted to say that I'm pretty sure Sarin got me. Sonia giggled and put a hand to her mouth. He's been dropping hints all over the place, so I can just imagine what he's going to get me. Sarin was a blood kindred warrior who worked in the PR and marketing department. He and Sonia were newly engaged, so they were holding off on getting bonded until after their wedding. When Melanie had asked the reason for this, Sonia's eyes had gotten wide. Girl, my daddy is a Baptist minister. And he's not one of these meek and mild creatures either. He's all fire and brimstone. So Sarin and I are waiting. She shrugged. Besides, it's not too long. We're getting married on New Year's Day. We can stand the sexual tension until then. But ooh, can that man talk dirty? You ought to hear him say what he's going to do to me once he gets a ring on my finger. And she'd fanned herself with one hand, her eyes eager with anticipation. From what she was saying now, it sounded to Melanie like Sonia and Sarin were getting a little impatient with all that waiting. What do you think he got you? She asked, grinning at the younger woman, who was clearly bursting with excitement. Who knows? Maybe something to wear on our bonding night. Sonia giggled, which made Melanie laugh along with her. Her co-worker had an infectious laugh that made her smile even when she was feeling blue. What's so funny, ladies? The deep, friendly voice interrupted their laughter, and Melanie looked up to see another co-worker. Sees clearly, or clear for short, looking down at the two of them. Clear worked in the accounting department, and he was hands down one of the handsomest men Melanie had ever met. He had blondish brown hair, broad shoulders, and smoky green eyes that made her think of shadows in a forest. He's also more than ten years too young for you and a twin kindred, Melanie reminded herself. 
which meant that somewhere on the mothership, Clear had a dark twin, who was probably every bit as handsome as him, but considerably more intense. Dark twins tended to be more moody and temperamental and, well, dark, at least according to Melanie's research for her latest PR big spot. Share the joke, Claire asked, bringing her reality. Are you two talking about the secret Satan drawing? That's secret Santa, Melanie corrected him, laughing. Mm-hmm. Satan is the lord of darkness, Sonia told him. You don't want him coming down your chimney Christmas Eve night. I would think you wouldn't want anyone coming down your chimney, Claire objected. Wouldn't it be a fire risk? Also, I have seen pictures of this Satan, I mean Santa. He is quite rotund, and aren't most chimneys on Earth narrow? How could he fit? He just does, Sonia said, giggling again. He's Santa. But Claire wasn't done critiquing the problems of Christmas yet. Also, how could he give to every house in his night in order to deliver presents? He asked, frowning. By my calculations, he would have to visit 108 billion individual domiciles in a single 24-hour period which gives him only one twelve-hundred-and-fiftieth of a second for each visit, in which he has to slide down the narrow chimney while avoiding the fire, distribute presents, fill the footwear with which has been laid out, and consume the bovine squeezings and Christmas pastries that have been left out for him. Bovine squeezings? Melanie asked with a little gasp. She and Sonia were laughing so hard they could hardly speak. You mean milk? I suppose, Claire shrugged. And even if he only gave each child one present, he would still have to bring 321,000 tons worth of presents on his sleigh, which, according to your legend, is pulled by only eight tiny reindeer. So, stop it. I can't take it. Sonia was doubled over, giggling through her nose like a crazy woman. Clear. You're clearly overthinking this, Melanie told him, laughing herself. Yeah, we can sure tell you work in accounting, Sonia exclaimed. Clear shrugged his broad shoulders. I'm just trying to make sense out of your earth legends, that's all. You don't have to make sense out of them, Melanie told him gently. You just accept them. That's part of the Christmas magic. And that's the end of the first excerpt. (laughs) I love how they view the Christmas legend and Santa confusing it with Satan. That is just too perfect. It's also uh, fun to think of how would the kindred see Christmas. I mean, if you take a step back from anybody's Christmas legends and look at them, they can look pretty strange. So you can see an alien culture trying to assimilate all this and be like, what? <laughs> exactly. Especially one as protective of women and children as they are seeing mm-hmm. somebody being okay with a stranger coming down the chimney. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. That's something to think about for next year's Christmas book. Yeah. Something like a kindred warrior, like standing guard at the at the fireplace. Like, you're not coming in my home. <laughs> Especially <laughs> the overprotective. Awesome. Yeah, the overprotective yes. ones. <laughs> uh, okay, so should I do excerpt two? Yes, please. Mm. Okay, so let me just preface this by saying this is excerpt two, and this is uh, Clear and his brother Strong. Strong is the dark twin. And Clear is, uh, they're talking and Clear is trying to convince Strong that they have a chance with Melanie, which Strong does not believe is true. Okay. So, because Melanie is an elite, which as anybody who reads the series knows, means she has extra curves. And yes. That's very valuable on the twin kindred uh, planet. Twin moon. Just don't get your hopes too high, brother, Strong said. Don't forget, she hasn't met me yet, and I'm much more likely to scare her away than you are. You won't scare her away. You just need to smile more, Claire protested. The fact that you're two inches taller than me and so stern all the time is a little frightening, but if you just make the effort, I do make an effort, Strong protested. But none of the eligible human females have met response. Maybe we haven't found the right female yet, Claire told him. Maybe me is the one. Have you dreamed of her? Strong asked. And do you know if she's dreamed of you? Dream sharing was commonly known to be a sure sign that the goddess intended a male and a female, or in this case, two males and a female, to be together. Claire frowned. To be honest, I'm not sure. I've dreamed of a sweet feminine scent and long silky brown hair. Any number of human women smell good and have long brown hair, Strong pointed out. True, Claire sighed. I don't know if the dream about her or not, and you don't know if she's dreamed of you or us either, Strong pointed out. True, Claire nodded, but I'm not giving up, he said stubbornly. Melanie is beautiful. 
She's an elite, and you know we could never hope to attract one of those on Twin Moons. Elites were rare on their home planet, and only males of the highest status could hope to attract and bond one. What makes you think we can attract one here? Strong demanded. Neither of us has more than five years of experience in our prospective fields. Is she young and inexperienced, and likely to accept mates who are the same? Well, no, Claire had to admit. The opposite, in fact. She's an expert in her field, and though I'm not a good human age, I heard her telling our co-worker, Sonia, that she is closer to 40 than to 30. So she's more than 10 cycles, our senior, strongly to them in disbelief. Brother, I'm sorry to kill your dreams, but what in the universe makes you think a beautiful older woman, an elite no less, would be interested in two younger males without much status like us? I know it sounds preposterous, but it's a feeling I get when I'm a letter, Claire said stubbornly. Her cheeks grow pink and her breathing becomes faster. Her pupils dilate. I think she finds me attractive. Now, I'm sure she would find you attractive as well, as well if you'd ever come to meet her. We do have essentially the same facial features, even though our hair and eye coloring is very different. While Claire had sandy brown hair and green eyes, his twin had black hair and dark blue eyes. I don't know. Strong shook his head. I'm afraid you're just fooling yourself, brother. Maybe you're not. Maybe she does find you attractive, he went on. But I'm sure the moment she met me, she'd run the other direction from both of us. I'm sure you'd be proven wrong if you'd just come meet her, Claire said, frowning. If you'd ever drop by my work the way I drop by yours, or I know, he brightened. You can come to our office Christmas party. Families are welcome. And best of all, I drew Melanie's name in a secret Satan gift-giving ritual, he frowned. Or is it secret Santa? I have such a difficult time remembering. Satan is the evil one in human Christianity, Strong said. He is the opposite of God, like the cruel father is the opposite of the goddess. Santa, on the other hand, I know what and who each of them are meant to be, Claire interrupted with a bit of irritation. I just keep mixing up the names. He waved a hand, brushing the issue away. Anyway, it's not important. What's important is that I drew Melanie's name, which is a perfect opportunity, both for me and to give her a thoughtful gift and for her to meet my equally thoughtful twin, you. I don't know. Strong shook his head doubtfully. I just think aiming too high, brother. You might as well ask the goddess herself to mate with us as to hope a mature, successful elite would be interested. And that's the end of the second excerpt. I really enjoy how the dark, the dark, uh, twin usually is when it comes to not feeling like he's going to be accepted and like he's going to screw everything up with the elites especially and scare it away for his brother yeah (laughs) the light twin always has to kind of smooth the way forward because the dark twin is just too intense Uh and too like his emotions are so strong and he has a hard time just kind of braining it in yeah, and yet it always see at least with the past books, it always has seemed as though even when they're in the room with that particular female that they're trying to woo, the dark mm-hmm. twin doesn't show that with her. It's only with his brother, and I feel so sorry for that light brother because he has to try and smooth it over with both ends. It seems exhausting. <laughs> yes, the light twin has a hard job. <laughs> But it also gives that much deeper bonding between them two, that much more brotherly bonding and, you oh, know, yeah. feeling of love between the two of them as well. Oh, yeah, I definitely want to convey that, that they're very close and they have a twin bond. And um, I just I really enjoy that aspect of writing the twin kindred, that they can feel each other's emotions and they can't touch the woman without the other person touching as well without you know getting a painful you know kind of sensation it's it's just they're so close yes yes and it brings that whole aspect of the three of them being together just kind of in a package that's so nice especially when the female especially human females are not used to that whole threesome sort of interaction between them Right, it's considered, I go into that a little bit in um, in this particular book about how she's trying to explain, Melanie's trying to explain to Claire, you know, we we only really have this relationship in our porn and it's not, you know, it's not generally a, a regular thing and um, he's trying to understand because, of course, to him it's completely normal. You know? Right. So, again, the whole two different cultures clashing, that's, that's one reason it's so much fun to write science fiction. 
Yes, yes. And for the kindred, their porn is very, very different as well. <laughs> Definitely, yes. Much more uh, respectful, always centered on the woman's pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I really do enjoy with that excerpt that you just read, too, that it was the dark twin (laughs) that kind of seemed to have Santa and the whole uh, Satan thing down pat rather than the light twin. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He's got it figured out. Um, They have... This, this book has a lot of uh, kind of some mix-ups and misunderstandings, which is what leads them all to get together, which is was a lot of fun to write. I have to tell you, this book came out in less than a week. Oh, wow. when I really like a book that I'm writing, it comes out very fast. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's always fun to be into what you're writing to, to a point where it's just like when you're reading something that you don't realize, oh, hey, it's now 7 a.m. and I haven't slept. <laughs> Exactly. That's that's totally my goal when I'm writing is I want you to lose sleep over it. I want you to be like, ah, oh, one more chapter, one more chapter. Exactly, exactly. And also, with your kindred, I must say they are so sweet, even the ones that can get really intense and really on the more uh, kinkier, darker side. They are just mm-hmm. so sweet and loving that they can be healing for many people too. So I love that aspect of your books. Thank you. I feel like um, I feel like there's a lot of books out there where they're writing like really mean guys, or I just I can't see that. Uh, I have a very loving relationship myself, very respectful husband, and I feel like um, every woman deserves that. And so I'm trying very hard to write the perfect man. I write men that are emotionally intelligent. That is super important to me. You know, I mean, they're still men, so they can get things wrong sometimes and they're, you know, they can be exasperating, but they want to understand. They want to do the right thing. And I don't feel like you get that in a lot of different books. Right. No, I agree, especially with books that kind of come at an angle of one or the other has to be wrong all the time or Mm -hmm. one or the other has to be the bad guy or the bad girl all the time. I, I those kind of things, I mean, they have their place and they can be enjoyable, but I really do more enjoy the books like these ones where they're both very smart, as we saw with your light twin, trying to analyze how Santa could possibly do all the things yeah. that we say he does. But at the yeah. same token... And I actually got some of that uh, from a piece I found on the internet called, I think it was called Christmas by the Numbers, and it was written by an accountant. And oh, he goodness. Has, like, sat down and actually... <laughs> He sat down and calculated all of this stuff. And I was like, oh, this is too good. I have to use some of this. Yeah, no kidding. Especially for that particular kind of kindred where he's an accountant. He's analytical. He's like, wait, I have to figure this out. How can it be possible? Well, again, thank you so much for reading those two. They sound fantastic. I absolutely cannot wait to jump into this book now. That sounds fantastic. I can't wait to see how that's going to work out, how they're going to kind of smooth things out and hopefully not continue to call Santa Satan all the time, even though that's so much fun. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so would you mind if we get into the interview now? Yeah, no, go ahead. Awesome. Okay, so one of the things that I've always wanted to know is the kindred race featured in this book being one of my all-time favorite ones. It was first introduced, actually, and claimed. What was your original inspiration for that? Um, Behind this race of kindred? Um, Well, when I started writing Claim, and I started writing the series, uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to write men who were emotionally intelligent and who I wanted to do a mixture of female fantasies and I wanted to mix sci-fi with paranormal. So the beast kindred are sort of kind of my werewolves and the blood kindred are kind of my vampires. Twin kindred represent the idea of a menage and the scourge, if you remember, they were the bad guys for a while, uh, yeah. is the BDSM kind of fantasy. So I basically just wanted to be able to tailor my different kinds of men to different fantasies that women might have. Okay, awesome. Yes, I do remember the Scourge um, being there in the background for a little bit, in particularly with 
the mm-hmm. son, which, forgive me, I'm forgetting his name at the Zarin? moment. Yes, Zarin. He was, he was the hero of book four. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. That was an awesome book as well. And, <laughs> of course. And um, I remember how all of that was kind of playing out and working into the first three books. And that was really interesting. I loved seeing his story play out through all three of them as well. Mm-hmm. The overarching kind of story arc of those first four books kind of set up the whole universe for me and kind of expanded everything out through there. I, when I first started, I thought it was only going to be four books in the series. And now I think I've written, oh, God, it's been over 50 books between Brides of the Kindred and Kindred Tales, something like 55 books in this universe. So there's a lot more than four. Right, right. Well, I'm really glad that it actually did span out like it did, because I absolutely adore these books. And you even recently released one of the books for one of the children from the original three. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a whole new series that I wanted to start. And I did get to start it. And then I I need to go back and write some more about some of the, the children of the kindred. It's just, I have to kind of go where my muse takes me because if I try to force a book to come out, it will come out like crap. So if I'm working on a book and working on it and it's not working, I sometimes have to give up and go with a whole different idea. Right, completely understandable. You always want to have it be about the quality over about pushing out a book before it's ready yeah. to come out. They have to talk to you. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it always makes... If I write a book a month, I don't have a whole lot of time. Like I'll give it a couple of days. And if it's not working, I'll be like, okay, something else. Got to have something else. Exactly. It always makes us authors sound a little bit crazy, but it the characters have to talk to us. <laughs> yes, that's so true. You have to have a connection with the characters. And if you don't feel connected to them, it can be just really difficult to get that book out. Exactly. Exactly. And for years, they are working fantastic. So I'm glad that you're doing it in the way that you're doing it. I don't feel like you've left anything behind Okay, so on the twins, they always tend to have such interesting names that kind of stand out, even to the other kindred, and they seem to correlate to their sibling. What is the reason behind this? I have to be honest, there's not really a reason. I I know you said, you know how it is when you're writing and things just come to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just, I like the idea of uh, names that would make it clear who was the dark twin and who was the light twin. That just kind of happened. And it also differentiates them from the other kinds of kindred too. So it's just another thing that's unique to the twin moons culture that just sort of popped in my head when I was writing. Well, that's awesome. And I, I actually really like how the names kind of work out. The thinks clear and I don't remember the two kindred from the very first kindred uh, twin kindred book from Source. oh um oh my gosh uh yeah deep stabs deep and uh, locks tight yes yes so deep and lock mm-hmm. yes deep and lock yes that yeah, one of my all-time favorite books too thank you now what is your favorite part about this particular race the twin kindred race uh what i love about them is that both the guys are just so focused on pleasing and pleasuring their women. Uh, because the Brides of the Kindred series is really all about female worship and about men, I, I don't want to say being subjected or anything, um, just men appreciating women, you know, and, and caring for them and um, giving them the credit that they deserve. And the twin kindred really embody that like times two. You know, so it's kind of an intense version of that, of having uh, two guys so very focused on the same woman. And uh, in fact, in the book that The Secret Santa Surprise that I just read you the excerpt from, they have a part where um, she's trying to explain to them, you know, in our society, sometimes men have more than one wife, but we don't have many cultures where the woman has more than one husband. And they're talking about that to themselves and saying, well, how in the world could you properly pleasure more than one wife? You know, (laughs) that's just such an odd concept to them because the whole idea for them is I have to pleasure her. How could I deal with more than one and give them what they deserve? (laughs) So 
Well, and just thinking about that with all the ways that they enjoy doing that and the things that they seem to need to do all the time. Yeah, I could see where they'd think, okay, I'm going to get tired. In particular, parts of my body are going to get really sore. (laughs) (laughs) I need my brother to jump in tag team. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I could see them being very curious about how that would work. And yeah, no, I've never felt like you have subjected men at all. They always are very respectful for everybody. But I love how they view women on that very high platform of they're very important to us. They're very sacred to us and very treasured by us. Yeah, Yeah. precious, cherished, just everything that I think, I think women deserve. We deserve it. Yes. We don't always get it, but we don't deserve it. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I feel that they get treasured as well. And I think that's why they feel that way. So Mm -hmm. now I also love that you do Christmas books and Christmas stories the way that you do. So what makes this holiday so special that it gets featured for a story over others such as Halloween or what's really common with the romance community would be Valentine's Day? Well, I have actually um, done like, I'm I can't really say that they're Halloween or I've, I had a book that happened at the time of Halloween and had a Halloween party in it. And I kind of had a Valentine's book this year, which was stealing her heart, which happened on Valentine's day, but it's not really the whole theme of the book isn't. But um, I think why I like to do Christmas books is uh, I love the idea of an alien race trying to figure out our weird Christmas traditions. Because there's a lot of room for humor and misunderstandings, and that is always so much fun to write. I just, I love to inject some humor in there. And um, so that's what, Christmas is a lot of fun to write. Right. No, I agree. And I'll have to check out that Stealing Her Heart. I haven't checked that one out yet. Well, I mean, don't feel bad because I write one every month. It is hard to keep up. Even my own assistant hasn't read them all. She's like, I can't. Oh, Wow. (laughs) She tries. <laughs> She's slowly catching up. But <laughs> Well, you writing a book a month, though, shows also your passion for it. So that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Gotta keep working. Exactly. Now, in your last holiday book, Falling for the Kindred Claws, if I'm remembering that that was the last holiday book correctly. <laughs> I think so. Well, the last Christmas book, anyway. Yeah. We saw that the Kindred had a, a bit of a hard time as we've been talking about with the whole Christmas theme of mm-hmm. calling Santa Satan and also not quite understanding why in the <laughs> world would you want someone coming into your house that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Is there um, perhaps a holiday similar to Christmas in meaning to the kindred that just has not been introduced or as we've mentioned that I maybe haven't read yet? <laughs> well, uh, I think that they do have a kind of a winter solstice type of festival but it's not as elaborate as Christmas. Um, and there are some other traditions. Um, I have to be honest, I just sort of make them up. Like the muse brings them at the spur of the moment. So, you know, we might get into that if we have Christmas on one of the kindred planets. That would be fun. Uh, so far, all the Christmas things have happened either on the mothership or on Earth. So we kind of deal more with the kindred trying to understand Earth traditions. But it would be fun to do, maybe next year I'll do uh, somebody having the kindred version of Christmas on Twin Moons or Rageron or one of the other planets, the kindred planets. All right. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I really do enjoy the humor that you put in with them trying to understand the, the Earth thing. Thank you. Yeah. On some of your books have had the heroes, the kindred heroes who enjoy a little bit more of that kinkier side to love, like Vorn from Taming Two Warriors and Rorik from Submitting to the Shadow. I've always wondered, though, would that flavor of romance be something that a member of the twin kindred would be interested in, given that, as you've mentioned, they're both the light and dark side of each other? I mean, that's an interesting question. I've never considered trying to do a BDSM flavored with a twin kindred, but I mean, it's certainly a pers- uh, possibility. And I think we know which twin would be the dom, right? Yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> the dark. The dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what inspired the whole idea behind the kindred series in the first place? Okay, so 
up until I started writing The Brides of the Kindred back in 2011, I had never written a series before. And the main reason for that is that I get bored really easily. The idea of writing the same thing over and over was not appealing. So if you look at my backlist, I have just a ton of standalone novels. Really, like I think something like 30 or 40 of them. Um, but at the same time, I knew that series sold better than standalone novels. They just always do because nobody wants the next one and the next one and the next one. It's like mental corn. So I set out to design a series that could accommodate every plot and genre I could possibly dream up. I wanted to get as open-ended as possible so I could put anything my muse dreams up into it. Just any plot you can think of, I can kindredize it and make it work in the Brides of the Kindred universe. So that's my inspiration. I want to make something, I want to make a series, but I want to be able to make, put anything I want in it, literally anything. And I have in the past put in all kinds of things. I even wrote Trapped in Time was uh, kind of a Victorian kind of like time travel. And, you know, so if I want to write, you know, historical romance, I can kindredize it. You know, if I want to write contemporary, I can kindredize it. I can kindredize anything. That's awesome. I really do like that that concept of it and how many different kindred we see come out of it, too. It's really fun meeting a new type of kindred and seeing a new thing come from it, actually. Oh, yes. I love making up new kindred, too. And I also love it. Sometimes readers will say, what if there's a kindred who did this and that? I get a lot of good ideas from readers, too. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that kind of kindred. Why not? Right, right. <laughs> I believe one of your kindred that came out not that long ago, the, I don't remember what they were called, forgive me, but the ones with the mirrored eyes and the tongues that can kind of turn into little stickers. Oh, yeah, stickers. the cruel ones. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> that was definitely an interesting read, and I, I enjoyed the whole concept of a different galaxy and a different universe. That's really interesting that you can do that. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of science fiction, absolutely nothing is off limits uh and that's why i can't imagine wanting to to write any other genre because the beauty of it is anything you want you can just make up and it makes it so much easier than if i was writing historical romance all the time and i had to go and research like how many petticoats people wore and <laughs> they take their gloves off before they drank their tea and because readers know these details and they will call you on it if you get it wrong Oh, yeah. If I made the deal, detail up myself, then nobody can call me on it. Exactly. That's one yeah. of the things that I have mentioned a few times in some of the writing tips is <laughs> what's the biggest important thing when it comes to any kind of writing? Research, 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 research. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, with the science fiction thing being mentioned, have you always been interested in science fiction? Did you read it before you started writing, or was that something that came about from the series? The, the series. Oh, oh my gosh! No, I've always been a complete nerd. Um, and my <laughs> dirty secret as a as a romance writer is that I don't read romance. Um, my mom would never let me. My parents were very strict; they were ministers, so I was not allowed to read any kind of romance or anything trashy or anything like that. But I was allowed to read as much science fiction and fantasy as I wanted to. So I read a ton of sci-fi and fantasy, and I love uh, watching Star Trek. I'm probably dating myself. There used to be like the original Star Trek uh, reruns on Saturday mornings after cartoons. Oh, yeah. So I was like seven and eight when I first saw, you know, Captain Kirk and Dr. McCoy and Spock, and um, I was hooked. So... Um, yeah, I was always in science fiction first, but then when I started writing, I had a dirty mind. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, how can I write what I love, but also write kind of, you know, and it just kind of came together. That's awesome. And it kind of brings a whole new meaning to some of your books that do have the heroines that have the, the ministry background to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot of heroines that come from a pretty strict background, and I think it's probably because, you know, you put a little bit of yourself in every character, and uh, I came from that kind of background. Right. Well, that's awesome, though, that you came to a place where you, you found your love in romance as well, especially if you didn't really read it before, and the stigma that can be placed on romance. 
I know. I got to be honest, I still don't read it. Um, I especially stay away from anybody who's writing my genre, sci-fi romance. <laughs> I do not want their ideas to contaminate mine. So with very few exceptions, I don't read my own genre. And so when I go to like conventions, I will be lost because I don't read the other writers there. Oh, and yes. I feel bad saying that. Like if I meet another writer and they're like, oh, I've read everything you've ever written. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I, I've had people say that my stuff is original and I want to keep it that way. Exactly. You know? So I, I try not to contaminate my mind with other people's ideas that are in the same genre. Exactly. Now, for my part of it, um, I actually did not get into science fi, uh, sorry, sci-fi romance until your books. So it was a whole new genre for me to pick up claimed. Um, Apple actually suggested it to me one day way back when, and oh. that's how I got into sci-fi. <laughs> awesome. That's so good to hear. But I bet you had an open mind. I bet you were like reading paranormal before then. Were oh, you? yeah. Yep, I was yeah, into please. paranormal. I do a lot of different types of, of romance, paranormal, dark romance. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like there's some people who are going to be more open to it, and it's usually people who read par paranormal. Um, Sci-fi was such a male-dominated genre for so many years that it could be hard to get women to try it. But I feel like lately it's really kind of been expanding a lot more. Yes, yes, it has. And it's really refreshing to see that to see so many more women oh, yeah. being drawn into it. Um, I've also noticed a lot more women being open to saying I'm into romance and I'm into sci fi romance or paranormal romance and feeling comfortable saying that now. Yeah, I mean, why not? Exactly. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite thing about writing these books about the kindreds? Oh, my favorite thing? Um, I think what I was saying, I'm trying to write the perfect man. Right. Um, like we said, loving, loyal, uh, nearly seven feet tall, all muscles, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on, what's not to love? <laughs> and I, I really love the idea of having, forming a soul bond with your mate uh, at the end of that journey when they finally get together, you know, with the female that they've been chasing and protecting. Um, and then they, they have that permanent kind of bond that... Um, it's really attractive to me, the idea of a marriage that is just always stuck in the honeymoon phase. Right. You know, the feeling of just being so in love and so just understanding of the other person. I, that's a really attractive idea to me. So it's not just the pursuit. It's once you catch that person, once you bond with them, then you're happy with them for life. Right. And there's no idea of divorce or separation because why would you? You're with your perfect soulmate. Exactly. And anything that, you know, could go wrong, you can fix and find a way around. Exactly. Mm -hmm. now, one of the things about your books that I personally adore is that you have such a wide range of heroines in your story. They're truly inclusive with the different races, the different backgrounds and religions. And most uniquely for romance in particular is the body types. Honestly, I never realized how much of an impact the body types in books could make. But when I picked up Sot and read that bigger heroine or the more curvier heroines being loved and treasured and seen as beautiful and desired and still kicking butt and actually, like the twins call them, the elites, they're the ones that are actually looked at as mm -hmm. really desirable I felt really comfortable, more so than I ever have reading a book before. So this body type inclusivity has become really hugely important, important to me now. I would love to know what inspired that motivation behind the tidbit for the books as far as the elites and wanting and desiring that more curvy heroine. Okay. Well, um, for writing plus-size heroines, uh, I'm a plus-size girl myself. I have been off and on Weight Watchers, like, uh, so many times. And gained and lost the same, like, 30 pounds so many times, you know? Yep. And so I got tired of reading about heroines who didn't look like me. Um, I wanted to write about plus-size girls having adventures and getting Mr. Right. 
and being uh, not just accepted for their shape, but desired for their shape, sought after for their shape, you know. Um, and I just love that idea. And since you're writing a female fantasy, why not? So that's what I did. And, um, yeah, it's important to me um, that, uh, that we mention the insecurities that a lot of heroines have. Um, you know, you may have been teased in school or something like that, but what you see as a detriment, the kindred warrior sees as uh, something to be desired and sought after. And I really, really enjoy that aspect of writing the book. Yeah, no, I really do enjoy that as well. I am not by any means a very skinny girl either. I've been on and off of the weight stuff yeah. as well. I've mm-hmm. been very self-conscious about my body as well. And um, I'm sure for you have experienced it too, as far as the oh, whole yeah. not feeling like I fit in. But at the same token, my husband absolutely adores my body. So uh-huh. I like reading these kinds of books where it kind of boosts that morale of your body type is beautiful. Right. Body positivity is very important to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. So I really uh-huh. do love that aspect about your books. Thank you for being an author that includes that so much in your books. Thank you. Well, um, again, like we said, you see a little bit of yourself in every heroine. So mm-hmm. that's definitely a little bit of me right there. <laughs> The other thing I like about that is I don't feel like I can just skip over the description and still have the the picture of the heroine in my mind. Oh, I feel like each really? of your heroines are very about... unique. Well, thank you. Well, and I also try to uh, include different races and everything. I always feel like, why should skinny white virgins have all the fun? Exactly. Exactly. Right. Everybody in, deserves to be loved. Every woman deserves to be worshipped. No matter what your race or your body type or your age, everybody deserves to be loved. I agree. And in this one, it's the woman is older, too, it sounds like. She is, yeah. So they call her a mature elite. And they're just absolutely positive there's no way they're going to be able to attract her because they're too young and they don't have enough status. And so this leads to a lot of um, misunderstandings because... She keeps saying, I'm too old for you. And they're like, yeah, we know, but <laughs> but we really, you know. <laughs> they're thinking for a different. a lot of fun to write. A completely different worldview for both of them. And so they're completely misunderstanding each other. You know, she's thinking that they would think like human men. And, of course, they don't. They're valuing her for her being older and being curvier. They're like, this is the sexiest thing ever. And and she's thinking, oh, there's no way they'd be interested in me. And they're thinking the same thing, but for different reasons. Right, right. They're viewing the whole age different things to the whole, yes, we know. But it's it's different. (laughs) Exactly. So what do you love most about being a self-published author? So I love that I'm my own boss. Um, and I also love that nobody can make me change my book if I don't want to. Um, when I first started out, um, like around, I guess, oh gosh, the early 2000s, uh, I was writing for a lot of places like Laura's Cave and Liquid Silver and places that uh, have just completely disappeared by now. Because Amazon gobbled them all up, which is too bad. Right. But um I did have several bad experiences where a publisher made me change the plot or storyline I had written. And in one case in particular, I had a book I really liked called Butterfly Scales. And she made me change it completely, and it ruined the whole book. Um, And now that I've been writing for so many years, I think I know what I'm doing. And I don't need somebody to tell me, no, that storyline's no good. You can't do that. so I'm glad I don't have to fight with a traditional editor anymore. My editor is more like a line editor. But she if she sees a plot hole or if she sees something she doesn't understand as a reader, she'll point it out to me. But for the most part, she just goes through and catches typos. And that's what I like. That's awesome. Ooh. Yeah, putting um, your stuff out there and then having somebody say, no, you need to change it. And usually it's for reasons of this is what's selling right now rather than this is what's good? Yeah. That's a big problem when you work with the big New York publishers, too. They'll be like, no, no, this doesn't work. We need this. 
because they have an idea of what is selling and they want your book to fit into that idea as opposed to letting your book just be your book. Right, right, which is what... It's not to have to deal with that. Exactly, exactly. And that's what, to me, the whole this is what selling right now comes from just letting a book be your book. It's what changes that tide. Yes, absolutely. Well, things have changed a lot since I first started self-publishing. So, I mean, self-publishing really wasn't a thing until Amazon came along. You know, it was uh, the big thing back in the day was to be able to write for a Lord's page. Like, there was a lot of other smaller publishers, but EC was, the, like, the king of the industry. And um, I remember I had a friend who was a writer, and she said, oh, my God, when I saw your name on their author's list, I felt like I knew a movie star. Oh, wow. Yes. That, that was a big deal. Being accepted to write for them was a big, big deal. But they had a lot of rules. Like, they were like, your, your people have to have sex by, like, the third chapter, and they have to kiss by here, and they have to this by there. And I had to work with my editor for a while before I was like, look, I don't want him to have sex till the end of the book. It's not full-blown sex. It's just my plot style. And it took a long time to get her to understand, you know, that the books would sell even if they weren't, like, humping each other from chapter <laughs> one. I feel like you have to get to know the characters first, and you have to be invested in them and want them to be together because otherwise, I would just turn on, you know, regular porn if I just want to see bow chicka bow wow, you know, <laughs> two people that don't know each other getting it on. That's boring. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's many different ways that sexual encounters can happen, and it's still sex, so. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you can have, I like to write a scene where they're just talking, like the guy's just telling the girl what he wants to do to her. I mean, and just that, that can be so sexy, even if he doesn't even touch her. In fact, I'm fixing to write a scene like that in the book I'm working on now. Oh, you yes. Know? And just, you have to have that build up, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. The anticipation is just as important as the actual touching and the feeling of the whole encounter. Yes, so important. I think it's very important. I have very few books where the characters have sex before the, like, full-blown sex before the end of the book. Like, I could probably name them on one hand. Yeah, no, that is true. That is very true. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy those those books, too. But I like how you do the anticipation and the build-up and everything else because it, it doesn't feel like we're being put off or held off in that particular aspect of their relationship. It feels like a natural build-up, which is what you want. So Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> What would you say is the most challenging thing about being an author and publishing your own books, in particular now, as you've mentioned, things have changed so much with self-publishing? Uh, that was going to be my answer. <laughs> Probably oh. keeping up with self-publishing. <laughs> <laughs> keeping up with the industry, it is changing so fast. It's changing daily. Um, I really don't like the promotional side of the writing, you know, having to place ads and everything. That is why my assistant takes care of most of that for me. But I'm, you know, you have to be hiding under a rock to not do any of it yourself. So, um, you know, or at least make decisions. True. Uh, basically, I'd be happiest if I could just write the story and not have to worry about anything else, not have to worry about how it sells or anything. Because when I'm telling a story, I'm telling it for myself. And for the most part, if the readers like it too, that's just gravy. But when I'm writing a book I really love, I'm telling my story to myself and just really enjoying it. And that's the best part of it. And everything else, you know, the promotion and the trying to make sure it doesn't sell and did I write something that people want, I don't like that part. I don't blame you at all. And I mean, that whole writing for the audience of one and letting it all fall into places, what's ideal and what you want to do when you're writing it. But then it comes time of the promoting it. And that's that is not fun. Yeah. And you do have to think about what will sell. And you can't always um, like I, I don't know if you've read any of my books that on Yanni Six. Yanni Six. Well, it's the planet where the women are all. Oh, yes. Like, men are all slaves. Yes. Um, and the women are in charge. Right. That's um you can correct me if I'm wrong, I but really I really enjoy writing that planet, but I have I have one subset of readers who love anything with Yanni Six. Love it, love it, love it. And I have another subset of people who just hate it. Oh. 
So I'm always kind of walking a tightrope when I place a book on that planet because some people are going to be like, ugh, I hate Yanni Six. I just don't like it, you know. But I love writing on that planet. It's so much fun. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, that's the one where they're kind of – the women have the men as – as quote-unquote students, but they're, like you said, kind of slaves? Um, well, I think you may be thinking of a different book. I did have one where they, they had them as students, but on Yanni 6, they, they have them as body slaves. And they put, oh. like, a like a pain collar on them, and they're, like... Oh, yes, yes, I do remember that now, yes. Say, they treat them as subhuman, and I, not that I want men to be treated as subhuman, of course not, but I think the most interesting part about uh, sex is power, mm-hmm. you know, who has it and who's willing to give it up. So when you add that dynamic into the plot, it makes for, to me, a lot more interesting plot. There's a lot more directions that you can go in. And I've gone the other way too and written planets where the men are always dominant, but I mean, don't we kind of already live on that kind of planet? Exactly. So, you know, so it's fun for me to flip that power dynamic on its head and write in that particular world. I really like that. Right. And now that you've mentioned the callers, yeah, I'm remembering that those stories on it. And I did enjoy that planet. I did enjoy how that worked out and how that flipped around. Um, but I can understand, too, of that whole tightrope thing of I don't want to put something out there right. that a big dynamic of my readers don't enjoy. Right. Because femdom generally does not sell super well. Right. Um you know, where the female is the dominant in a BDSM type situation. And I have written a couple of books where I do, it's actually all the way into full-blown femdom. And that's where I have people saying, oh, I love this, or oh, I hate this. It's, nobody's in the middle on that one. Nobody's just kind of like, yeah, it was okay. Either they love it or they hate it. Right, right. And like you said, that gets to be kind of nerve-wracking and a little bit hard for the author yeah, unfortunately, because you do still have to pay the bills. Exactly. And you don't want to write a book that, you know, people are going to hate, even if you love it, you know. Especially with how Amazon is with the whole way they do oh, their books. I'm going to be starting on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they have messed me around so badly. Um, it's all completely pay to play there now. And if you're not in KU, which I'm one of like the only holdouts that I know, I refuse to go into Kindle Unlimited because I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. It has made it really tough. I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's interesting. Well, and I mean, for that Kindle Unlimited type stuff, it's to me, it's better to hold out. You don't want to do that than um, to, to give into I'm it. I'm trying to. I feel like we're all slowly getting pushed into it. And I feel like if any of the other main publishers fails like Barnes and Noble is always just like barely hanging on Mm -hmm. but if one of them goes completely under there's gonna I feel like be a lot of people who are just shoved into KU because you won't be able to make enough at outside publishers to not be in KU true very true I I am a holdout I'm still holding out (laughs) I'm glad that you are keep on holding strong there thank you If you could go back in time and give yourself some advice before you ever even launched your first book for your own self-published stuff, what would that advice be? Huh. Well, there are sub-publishers I probably would have warned myself not to trust at the very beginning. Um, But on the whole, if I had to do it all again, I'd probably still follow the same path uh, with my writing career. I kind of got into self-publishing right as it was taking off. So that worked out really well for me. I mean, thank God. Um, (laughs) uh, The one thing I would do, and I would warn myself, and I would warn anybody who wants to make writing a career, get yourself a standing desk, okay? Because I actually gave myself a pretty bad back injury by sitting and writing too much. Oh, yes, yes. Um, And so now I have a standing desk, and I have to do back exercises, like physical therapy exercises in the morning when I wake up and right before I go to bed and my back will never be the same. Oh no, I'm so Um, sorry. So yeah, if I could go back in time, I'd say get your ass out of the chair, girl. Stand up to write. (laughs) I'm so sorry to hear about your back. Um, Yes, writers. I mean, 
I hurt myself doing what I love. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know what? Writers actually do get injuries. No, I was going to say, you have to worry about those repetitive motion injuries, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I wear, like, wrist braces when I type. Oh, yeah. And so far, I haven't had to do any carpal tunnel surgery, thank God. Oh, good. I've tried dictating. I don't know if you've tried that. Mm-hmm. I got the dragon naturally speaking. I did, too. <laughs> did you? Yes. I cannot make it work because... When I talk, the story comes out differently out of my mouth than it comes out of my fingers when I it, type. That's true. And also there's that frustration of you'll be going and sometimes I'll turn my head away to look at something mm-hmm. a cat or a dog is doing and I won't notice that it's messed up a word. <sighs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, frustrating. And when you're writing science fiction uh, and you're making up different words, weird words, you know, and they think it's a typo and it, and it says it'll keep saying the wrong word. And it's just hard. I mean, if God forbid, if like somehow I was in an accident and both my hands got cut off or something, I oh, would no. go right. I would make it work. Yes. But yes. since I'm not there yet, I'm still typing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that that's not happening and God forbid it ever does, like you said. But <laughs> at least it is there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are there any kinds of encounters, be it sexual or non-sexual, between the couples that you'd like to explore that you haven't yet, either because of the whole stigma behind that particular encounter or the weird restrictions that these publishers put up? Huh. Well, not so much. We talked earlier about Apple censoring uh, my twin kindred books because yes. they somehow think they're incestuous, which they're not. It's really stupid. Right. Um, uh, but I don't really think of anything that's so weird that I'd like to write that I can't write, you know. Um, there are tropes and plots I'd like to try. Like sometimes I'll Google a list of romance book tropes and I'll look for something I have never written yet and go, oh, I've never written a book like that. And it kind of gives me inspiration. That's awesome. So that's, that's kind of a lot of fun. Yeah. If, if you do that, like Google tropes and say, hey, what have I not written yeah, that's awesome. I've not written a secret baby book or something like that. <laughs> it's so funny because when I first, I went to my very first um, romance convention and I heard everybody saying, oh, secret baby book, secret baby. And I was like, what the hell is a secret baby book? Because <laughs> I had never read any romance, even right. though I'm writing it, I hadn't read it. So I didn't know the tropes. And so my, my friend who was also a writer had to explain it to me, and I felt really dumb. Oh. But, yeah. That's okay. There's several different types of tropes out there that even with me doing the blogging and everything else, somebody will say it, and I'll sit there and go, huh? <laughs> well, i tell you a book that I would like to write, and I was saying to my assistant recently, my friend Laura, I should say. I keep saying my assistant. She's actually one of my very best friends. Oh, that's good. Um, the idea of you, you run across this in historical romance sometimes where the, uh, the guy needs an heir, like the Duke or the Lord needs an heir, and he's willing to pay this woman to carry his baby kind of thing. And, of course, they fall in love. And I was like, oh, I've never written that. So that's something coming up that I'd like to write. And I'm sure I can kindredize it because I can kindredize anything. Right, right. And that sounds actually really interesting to put into that kind of a universe, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's a trope I want to write and uh, should be coming out. You'll, you'll probably see something like that pretty soon, maybe in uh, 2021. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Evangeline, for coming on to the podcast and joining us today. I've really enjoyed the excerpts that you read and the interview and our conversations and getting to swap ideas and everything. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. I had a lot of fun, too. Have a great night. You, too. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, booklies, that's going to do it for this very special Bookish Book Hype. I hope that you all enjoyed Evangeline's excerpt reading and interview as much as I did. Getting the inside depth and scoop on her kindred world was a very special treat that I will never forget. I hope that we can one day have her join us back on the podcast. 
I don't know about all of you, but I can for sure say that I will be picking up a copy of Secret Santa Surprise and diving right in after those fantastic excerpts. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe either on your favorite podcasting platform or on my blog at www.bookishcreation.com. If you subscribe to my blog, you'll get an email notification with a post for each podcast episode as they go up. You'll also get notifications for any other fun book romance posts that go up on my blog. The Bookish Creation podcast logo was created by The Artsy Reader. The Artsy Reader is another fantastic book blogger. You can check her out at www.theartsyreader.com. She does fantastic book reviews as well. I hope that you all are having a fantastic morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world, and that this chapter of your life is fantastic. I'll talk to you next time. Bye!